0: All right, hello, humanoids of YouTube. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. It's a Friday panel extravaganza for June 4th, 2021. As always, click that subscribe button, tap that notification bell, and there's a chance, albeit a small chance, that you will see our videos in your YouTube feed. Uh, We got three stories for you. Today, we're gonna be talking about this trove of emails that have been released from the Fauchist, Anthony Fauci. And I'm only actually, we're only gonna cover one specifically. We'll probably talk about a few of them. Uh, But there's just so many things leaking out right now. And you're not gonna believe it, guys, but all the people we all called conspiracy theorists three months ago, yeah, they were pretty much Write about everything, which is pretty much consistent with everything else going on in the world. And then there's uh, the second story, which is about that Joe Biden guy. He's the 78 year old guy with dementia that's pretending that he's president of the United States. He's also a racist. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, And then the third story, which actually, this one hits a little close to home for me my friend, Andy No, who I can actually call a journalist without having to use air quotes, uh, he was violently attacked in Portland and had to hide in a hotel. It's actually the very hotel that a couple years ago I met Andy at for the first time. Uh, And then then Twitter did some really crazy stuff changing. They took journalists out of the trending topic because some activists went after them for calling him a journalist and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, He is doing okay, I actually spoke to him this morning. Uh, but before I intro my esteemed panel, I want to talk to you guys about Gabby Insurance. You know, there are hundreds of companies out there claiming to compare auto and home insurance rates, but there's only one who actually does it. Get a better insurance with Gabby. Gabby is the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. Use your current policy to find a better policy, comparing your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers, all in one place. Use your current insurance information to get started. It's free, and they only show you policies that are the same or better than your current coverage, many of them at a lower price. When I used the Gabby calculator, I discovered great insurance quotes within minutes and was quickly able to compare the top five rates by seeing them listed in order, which made navigating through the plan super easy. They have great customer service and support as well. I'm now confident I have the best insurance price available. Gabby customers save $961 per year on average, and they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam or robocalls. Put your policy to the test like I did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash That's G-A-B-I.com slash Gabby.com slash And now back to me. Okay, here we go. We got a big panel for you. Joining me today are the senior editor at Human Events and author of the Antifa stories from inside the black block. Finally, Jack Posobiec is joining us on the Ruben Report. We've got PragerU personality, Amala Epinobi, and author of The Faucian Bargain, The Most Powerful and Dangerous Bureaucrat in American History, Steve Deese. Guys, welcome to The Rubin Report. Hey, guys. Super excited to be here. Thanks. I Thank you was, for having me. I think that was the longest intro that I've ever done. We're going <laughs> to start with uh, this Fauci stuff, because I know you guys have been all over it on Twitter and these emails are leaking out like crazy. And I was talking to my team this morning about which emails we should cover. Uh, I'm gonna read one email for you here and then and then I'll let you guys chime in, here we go. Uh, this is from Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci. Masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit in keep out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you're going to a very low-risk location. Your instincts are correct. Money is best spent on medical countermeasures such as diagnostics and vaccines. So this is an email that Fauci sent a few months ago to a friend who had inquired as I think uh, they were going on vacation or something like that. Steve, I'm gonna let you chime in first because you've got the book, Fauci and Bargain. (laughs) I mean, talk about timing, man, Jesus. I mean, this is completely counter to pretty much everything Fauci and the rest of the crew have been telling us for the last couple of months. How did you know? How did you know?
1: Well, we, we decided, why don't we just research the, the data and go with what it says, rather than the science of uh, projecting political narratives. Brother, the only science that evolves this fast is political science. Can I get an amen? All right, and so uh, all, 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 all of the, and I mean all of the studies we have done on this for decades all showed that masks don't work against uh, aerosols. They don't work against airborne viruses. Uh, In fact, it was about almost exactly one year ago that current Biden uh, COVID advisor, Michael Osterholm, was addressing was addressing the Chamber of Commerce in Minneapolis, who were like, "Dude, we got to stop losing money. When can we reopen? Why don't we just have everybody wear masks?" And Osterholm laughs and says, "They don't work. It's like trying to put a screen door on a submarine. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you're going to breathe these masks. You know, they're open in the sides. The air just gets out. It doesn't. It doesn't do any good." The the lie that you were told from the beginning that the the reason the masks work because the the virus predominantly spread by droplets. It does not. It's an airborne virus. That's why the masks don't work. That's why you haven't worn masks every cold and flu season your entire lives. They don't work. And so the the question we should be asking, guys, is if they would have expressed this level of we're not sure what we're up against. Can you guys try this? You know, we don't know that we can trust what the Chinese are selling us. We're going to kind of do a Swiss cheese thing. We're going to do several layers to try to you know cover as many holes as possible. Maybe we would have been more uh, willing to go along instead. They just denied all their own data. I mean, CDC, Dave, is doing this today, claiming that there's this whole influx of ICU patients, of adolescents, when that's just simply not true by their own data. They speak with certainty about things that we can empirically prove are not true. Why do they do that? All the answers to that question are bad.
0: So Jack, I never tell people to be on Twitter, but you're one of the few people that I actually enjoy following on Twitter. You don't make me crazy. That's pretty much the highest compliment I can give somebody. But the line alone, the typical mask you buy in a drugstore is not really effective in keeping out a virus. To me, that should sink him right there. I know you've been tracking all the other emails and you can chime in on any of the other stuff that he said, but isn't that alone a year and a half after two weeks to flatten the curve enough that this guy needs to go?
2: Well, this is the same type of dynamic you see with Dr. Fauci when it comes to things he says in private versus things he says in public. Now, we do know in public around the same time, he was also had a few comments, a few interviews where he was basically saying the same thing that, hey, these masks are not effective We need to save them for doctors, et cetera, et cetera. But then he flips on a dime when it comes to this stuff. And it's the same problem that we see with the Wuhan lab theory, right? So we're talking about these gain of function experiments. We're talking about, could this have been something that came out of that lab? It's uh, you know right down the street from where the Chinese government is telling us this thing broke out. But Fauci's out there publicly, in one hand, saying, no, this isn't possible. Look at this Lancet letter. Uh, you know There's nothing that you need to worry about. But in private, what we see in these emails is that he has the very same questions that every other researcher, every other journalist is looking at. People in their homes are asking about when they hear about this stuff. What do you mean there's a lab right down the street, right? And so the problem I see, and I completely agree with Steve on this, that He has one sort of take internally where he's asking the questions and seemingly acting like a normal person would. And he didn't show that publicly. He publicly made pronouncements. He made proclamations. The government made proclamations based on this. They didn't come clean. They weren't open with us. And now you've even got today, speaking about that Lancet letter that came out February of 2020 that really shut down the lab leak theory early on. There's a guy out of Mount Sinai who actually wants to take his name off the letter now. he says you know what, I think there's been a lot of more that's come out on this. There's a lot more smoke around that Wuhan lab. Let's investigate it. It seems like that has been the critical mass point that's being reached and that letter is falling apart.
0: Jack, I feel like I got to give you an opportunity to speak directly to Fauci in Chinese. Do you want to give him a sentence
2: or two in case he's watching? The American people deserve the truth, the Chinese people deserve the truth, and the people of the world deserve the truth.
0: About Wuhan. Pretty sure we just got our promo clip for the show. (laughs) <laughs> Amala, Amala what, do you, what do you think just generally, I, I'm pretty sure you're, you're the youngest on the panel here, that I it, am. Seemed, it <laughs> seems to me, it's, I, w- I didn't age you guys right before, but it seems to me that, that people your age, like people in their early 20s, basically are looking at the entire professional class, the entire elite class and going, you guys are just liars about absolutely everything. Is that, do you think that's an overestimation?
3: Uh, I would not say that's an overestimation by any means. I certainly have found it very hard to trust anything that comes out in terms of advisement or regulation around this virus. And we've been proven right time and time again. We're not conspiracy theorists, as many people called us. And I think it's going to keep happening. A red flag for me with Dr. Fauci was last summer when all the BLM riots were happening, and he refused to make a statement that the riots and the protests had any effect on the spreading of COVID-19. That set up a red flag for me immediately, and now we're seeing all the the smoke and the fog be cleared and we're seeing the man behind the curtain. So it's not surprising at all. And I find it uh, really, I think that young people are not going to be able to trust what's coming out uh, r- regarding this anymore.
0: Steve, since in the t- subtitle of the book, it's the most dangerous, uh, sorry, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Can you just talk about how we're just kind of governed by mid-level bureaucrats that nobody really knows and that they are the ones that are then you know, in effect, telling Biden what to do and then Biden just signed stuff for Gavin Newsom here in California. And next thing you know, it's a year later and you haven't left your house.
1: I think that's a really important point, Dave. Uh, it, it's the introduction to the book begins with that, that, that Anthony Fauci is a construct. Um, if he had retired he's 80 years old if he had retired and taken his glorious pension into the sunset as most people do at his age or even years beforehand I don't know that things would have turned out much differently another creature would have emerged from the black lagoon who knows it might have been Debbie bedazzle your face shield Burks Um, who knows it might have been Francis Collins who went from one of the, the great scientific achievements of the age the mapping of the human genome in the 1990s and 2000s to wearing a double mask outdoors after being vaccinated but it would have been somebody else. The system would have offered up someone else. That's what we do in this technocracy. Uh, we quote from uh, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, farewell address, and everybody always talks about the military industrial complex that he warned us about. But in that same speech, Dave, he warns about the scientific age that we're on the brink of, the advancements now that that we're on the brink of, and to enjoy the blessings of those, but don't let the people responsible for them create themselves as sort of this uh, perpetual expert of mm-hmm. class, of, of unassailable bureaucrats that we then cede our freedoms over to. That is exactly what we've done. We didn't listen to Ike.
0: Jack, do you think Trump's feeling pretty good right now? Like it's basically over a year ago where he said, yeah, there's kind of some evidence that this thing was leaked and suddenly everyone's now talking about it, at least that the possibility that it was leaked. And yet, uh, you know, he was called a conspiracy theorist and a warmonger and a racist when he said it back in April of last year.
2: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, he was the guy who came out and said, we need to put this ban on travel from China because everybody was looking at the situation saying, why is it that China – I'm reading Chinese media back in you know, January 2020, translating it, flipping it over into English, putting it on Twitter, and everyone's saying, well, wait, China is – banning travel domestically, so internal travel, right, between Wuhan, Beijing, Wuhan, and other major population centers, but they're not banning international travel. So they're still, you've still got that huge travel pipeline of uh, Chinese businessmen and tourists and travelers between the People's Republic and Italy with the United States. So it's Trump, who's the first world leader that really comes out and says, shut it down, right? You know, we don't want this traveling war. The very next day, Joe Biden calls him a xenophobe. He says you are xenophobic and a racist, right? Right. So when you're looking at this, go forward.
0: In Biden's defense later, he said it wasn't exactly because of that. He meant it more generally or something like that. Right, right, (laughs) that that his defense
2: was, no, even though it was, you know, just, I think, less than 12 hours after the travel ban. He said, no, no, I just meant he's in general a racist. (laughs) That was their
0: response. Amala, the the cries of uh, racism, they kind of don't work anymore, do they?
3: No, they don't. They're not working on people anymore. And when it comes to the cold, hard facts of the situation, he was out to protect us. He was out to do right by the American people. And you can only use racism so much. And I think the left is hopefully going to learn that very soon because they're on this rampage of just racism, 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 and people are waking up to that.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue actually for the second story. So uh, this is some video we're gonna show you from townhall.com. Joe Biden was giving a speech. And if you ever ever want to know what the soft bigotry of low expectations is well listen to old joe
1: the data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are but they don't have lawyers they don't have they 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 don't have accountants but they have great ideas does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off from the investments those people make. And I promise you, that's why I set up the National Small Business Administration that's much broader, because they're going to get those
3: loans.
0: Amala, I'm uh, reviewing my paperwork here. You are black,
3: yes. is that correct? I am indeed, that you is very true. Okay, I want to state
0: for the record, I don't
1: see color, Dave. Thank you, go ahead.
3: <laughs> Steve,
0: you are definitely not black. I mean, I can see that much. Yes. Uh, olive, I am olive, yes. Yeah, uh, so Amala, do you have a lawyer or an accountant? And if not, do you need help finding one? <laughs> we live, live kind of uh, close, see I can get you my guy. <laughs>
3: I do not currently have a lawyer or an accountant, but if I needed one, I'm sure that I could use my faculties to to get one for myself.
0: When, seriously though, when you hear a statement like that, like what does that make you feel, make you think? like, Like, that is racism, man, that is racism.
3: It is on on, on its very face, it's racism and it's a big part of what made me leave the left. Like you said, the soft bigotry of low expectations. So now we can add to the list that black people can't get lawyers, they can't get accountants, they can't get voter ID, they can't get into college without help from anybody. They need their businesses elevated on platforms like YouTube and Netflix and Uber Eats. It's just they expect so little of us because we are the victims of American society apparently.
0: Jack, I mean, obviously you're not a a Biden supporter, but are you shocked at how quickly this thing has just completely derailed or at least become everything that a bunch of us warned it was gonna become? You know, so I'm actually a
2: little bit more in the process of, I, I would say I'm in the camp of, I want to step on the gas pedal, right? I want <laughs> Biden to go as much, I want as much Joe Biden as possible. I want him giving speeches 24 seven. I want him doing live streams. You should bring him on Ruben report, right? I He's want welcome. him out there He's all welcome. the time.
0: <laughs> so you just want give, to exacerbate it to the point where it'll just be obvious to everyone. That's the idea. Like, if it's yeah, the not more
2: Biden give us, the less they'll be able to cover it up, the more stories you'll get like this, the more comments you'll get like this, where, you know, and of course, if you if you push the left on these uh, these statements, they'll say, well, he's clearly referencing systemic racism and the the in- historical injustices that were done against certain communities of color in this country that have created disparities. See, yeah, I can do it right. Yeah. <laughs> that can do created disparities and access to uh, needed American economic and legal institutions. And he's really just a paragon of virtue. And It's like, no, cut the crap. Right. We, everybody knows Kamala Harris is waiting in the wings. Yep. She's either gonna wait for that resignation or she is gonna trigger the 25th Amendment because she wants to be in that chair.
0: Steve, let's not forget, she was polling at quite literally 0% when she stepped out of the Democratic primary, but here we are.
1: Well, her one claim to fame as a presidential candidate was successfully calling Joe Biden a racist yeah. uh, in one of their debates. <laughs> what what I think we're watching with this administration is take take the Obama the Obama years and let's fast forward to the the current trend of cultural devolution we're at now compared to where we were in 2009 2012 etc so accelerated a few more years but then removed the stagecraft aspect of the Obama presidency that they were so effective going back to his nomination speech his first run where he had like the Greek columns and he gave the speech yeah. there in uh, in LA I think it was they understood the stagecraft they were the first campaign to jump on social media. I mean, when you got a message from uh, from Michelle Obama, we didn't know what micro-targeting and stuff was. You thought she was really calling you and left you a voicemail, right? Mm-hmm. They understood the stagecraft and that that covered a lot of the Cloward Piven sins of his eight years in the White House. Well, that's all gone now. And now you're getting all the policy, but none of the, none of the pomp. And so you remove all of that stagecraft. You remove the power of Obama's persona, his ability to relate to people, communicate to people. All of that is gone now and it's is replaced by a construct, meaning you get the policies, but then a guy who as a vehicle is just riddled with dementia. And I think that's why you're seeing this thing unravel fast, is is now you don't have to go through layers of Obama's personality in order to get to the root of an issue. The issues are stripped bare right away because Biden is just not an effective symbol.
0: Yeah. Amala, you know I don't wanna do the identity politics thing, but at some level, I mean, are you seeing friends, family, et cetera, that are just like, like, are, is anyone breaking basically? Like, have you seen anyone that wasn't really sure before the election now be like four months in and going, boy, black people can't get a computer, they can't vote, you know, they can't get an ID, like all the stuff that we've talked about here, are you seeing some people that are finally like, ah, maybe maybe there's something wrong here?
3: I think it's slowly placing a little chink in the armor, but we all know the left and the left does not want to admit that they're wrong or that they've done something that has had ramifications that are poor on society. So it's very hard to truly break through that barrier of left of leftism of this massive support for Joe Biden. But I think like Jack said, we just need to put him on TV more. He needs to be live streaming. He needs to be on Twitter. He needs to be making YouTube videos because that is going to expose him. He is doing all the work himself.
0: this this one's for all of you guys. Jack, I'll start with you first, but are are you guys shocked that the way the mainstream media still runs cover for him, that despite the fact that we can all see this stuff on Twitter and on YouTube and all of these shows get more views than CNN, we all know that, not that that's that many views because nobody's watching CNN, but that the mainstream still just, they will not discuss these things when he doesn't know what he's talking about or when he's blatantly racist or when he's bumbling around the stage or whatever it might be, that they still just don't do it. Jack, what do you think? No,
2: I, I think it's different because I think that Joe Biden, he's just a ratings crusher for them. Uh, they are all still focused on Trump because the dirty little secret is he's the only thing keeping any of these outlets afloat, right? It's it's all just anti-Trump, Trump hate. Uh, Mueller's going to get Trump. OK, maybe Mueller's not going to get him, but Adam Schiff's going to get him, right? They will talk about Trump all day long. They want to goad him into running again. They need him to run again if any of their financial business plans are going to be able to continue. Continue out forward, right? That's why they don't talk about Biden because at the end of the day, he's just boring, and even people on their own side don't care about him.
0: Steve, but just yesterday, uh, we were told that Trump's telling people he's going to be reinstated in August. That's what they said on (laughs) CNN. It must be true.
1: (laughs) I want to go back to what you just said about Twitter. This is where there is a use for Twitter. Is that cognitive dissonance yeah. is is can cannot be ignored any longer because when we used to have just you know rival media streams, you could say I was on the air, I'm in my own you know habitat, I'm not observing your ecosystem, I don't know what you guys talk about. But I would say to anybody that's currently any of the four of us on this panel, go right after we're done here, tweet something incendiary on a few verboten topics, and I can promise you um, that I mean I I've seen this happen. A bunch of CNN producers or New York Times or Washington Post reporters who don't know if my last name is pronounced Dees or Dace. suddenly okay. they're on the phone calling me and asking for clarification. Uh, did you really mean this? I mean, what do you think this means? Right? And so the idea, if, if they're pouncing on us, like I'll give you an example, Dave. So the, the, I, I used to do a lot of panels on CNN, MSNBC, just because it was fun. And then the Trump era came and they didn't want to have people like me on anymore because they just wanted to further a narrative rather than a conversation. Until Trump met with the guy over, the killer over there in North Korea. And I'm just not big on uh, palling around with P- the, P- the folks over there in Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, after three years of ignoring me, yep. CNN called me right away to see if I wanted to come on the network that day because I didn't like Trump's uh, uh, entrees with the North Koreans. That's an, an example of what we're talking about here. And so if they know when we say something that fits their narrative or they find incendiary that they can use against us, that means they're aware of all the other times we're pointing out when they're completely full of feces at the exact same time and yet they just choose to ignore that. What does that tell you?
0: Right. Well, Amala, you got to be feeling pretty good about it though because you're getting in the content creation game and everyone's ignoring that nonsense at this point.
3: I know, I'm not catching too much heat right now, but I, I we all know revolutionaries, they need a villain and they will move on to somebody after they move on from Trump. There will always be something to fight against and that's why these media outlets need some sort of villain, somebody to put in the hot seat, somebody who's evil.
0: Well, speaking of some sort of villain, the media and the journalists around town have made Andy know out to be a villain and Andy, it's impossible for me to find someone who has probably done better journalistic work in the last couple of years uncovering what Antifa is. Although Jack, obviously you've done a quite, job, quite a good job yourself. So Andy was attacked in Portland by a bunch of Antifa activists the other day. This will not be covered on CNN today. This will not be covered on MSNBC and I'm guessing it ain't gonna be in the New York Times. Andy sent out a long Twitter thread about it. I'm just gonna read the, the two first ones and then we're gonna show you some, some images of, uh, of what happened to him. Uh, this is directly from Andy himself. No journalist in America should ever face violence for doing his or her job. Yet on Friday, May 28th, Antifa tried to kill me again while I was reporting on the ongoing protests and riots in Portland, Oregon, for a new chapter of my book, Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. I was chased, attacked, and beaten by a masked mob, baying for my blood had i not been able to shelter wounded and bleeding inside a hotel while they beat me while they beat the doors and windows like animals there is no doubt in my mind i would not be here today their words like their actions speak for themselves he went on in the twitter thread and uh, if we can can we throw to some of the images uh, while i'm mentioning this i as i said at the top of the show i actually met andy at that hotel years ago for the first time first time we ever met each other he's the most soft spoken decent guy you could ever want to meet this is not someone that wants to be involved in violence or inflaming the situation or anything else, uh, Jack. Because you're you're, you know, writing a book or you just wrote a book and you're, you're also talking about Antifa all the time. Why is this not being covered in an honest way? And what do you think is Andy's responsibility as a journalist? Journalist, knowing he's going to be targeted there, because I saw a couple people who I usually respect their opinions sort of being like, "Oh no, 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 he shouldn't have gone there," which is kind of like telling a woman she shouldn't you know go out alone at night.
2: Oh yeah, well, you know, to just kind of answer the second part of that, you know, uh, I I would definitely, if that were me, I'd you know, I'd want to have some security, I'd want to have some backup, you know, have them also be dressed in, you know, sort of the the black garb of the black block, you know, have them look like they're infiltrating, not carrying weapons or anything like that, unless of course the black block already is, in which case, fine, go for it. But yeah, um, I I get what people are saying that obviously we don't want Andy to be safe, we we know that we want people out there watching his back. Um, I I hope that that's something that we can, you know, we can get going in the future when this comes up, because the real situation is, is that when it comes to this organization, they are an anarcho-communist syndicate at this point that is pushing for violence in all of these major cities across the country. We saw them in Minneapolis again just last night. And The the not only the media gives them a pass, right? The media, well, they'll hand out these little flyers when you go out, and they say, if you want to cover one of our events, you have to abide by our rules. And we talk about this in the book, where you know you can't show our faces, you can't show any action, you can't show any violence, you can't show anything that could identify us. And as long as you abide by those rules and basically take our side in everything and don't do actual journalism, then we'll treat you fine. If not, we're going to put umbrellas in your face, we're going to attack you, or like in my case, they're going to we're going to try to push you down concrete steps to get you to crack your head open in front of a, a statue in Lincoln Park there in D.C. And so when it comes down to it, though, the bigger problem on a higher level is why is the Department of Justice not going after these people? We've seen the way that they've treated January 6th, tweeting out the pictures, having the, asking people to help identify. Where's any of that for Antifa? They are just as much insurrectionist insurgents. They're out there night after night. And when it comes to the city of Portland, they're attacking actual federal facilities.
0: Well, weren't we told that you're allowed to attack federal facilities as long as it's at night and nobody's in there? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that literally something? What think if it was, was it the mayor of Portland that said that?
2: No, it, it, no. Unfortunately, that was our Attorney General Merrick Garland who said that during his uh, oh right, right During right. his confirmation hearings. So my question is, what if it's dusk? What if it's like you're <laughs> right on the cusp of it? You know, you're. It's like it's like you know before a hockey game and you're there with the sticks and you're like ready to go. No, right, then, exactly. It, it's what, silly. It's silly.
0: Right. What if somebody's working late? I mean, it is possible. I know. It's the, <laughs> it's the government. No, and, you know. and obviously, there
2: are we know there are people in there because there were federal agents in the building at the time. So, yes, uh, Attorney General Garland, there were people working there. They were working to defend the courthouse against the thugs that you won't bring charges against.
0: Steve, to to Jack's point, I mean, do you think the feds are going to get involved? I mean, finally, the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, started pushing back against them a little bit after he basically poured gas on the flames for the last two years. I mean, do we need the feds to be involved? Why are we letting mass thugs burn down our cities? Crazy question, I know.
1: Well, I I thought they should have been dealt with as a foreign hostile power for declaring they had a nine block uh, independent zone last summer, frankly, uh, and made an example out of. But no, they won't be dealt with until or unless it impacts the overall leftist narrative. And then that's when uh, they'll learn really quick that the first rule of assassination is that you kill the assassins. And I want to go back for just a second on the cognitive dissonance aspect and with with Andy and and the bravery of what he has been doing for these. Last couple of years. So yesterday, my publisher sent me a piece that The Atlantic had written about uh, what had been some of the more successful conservative books so far in the Biden in the Biden era, which you know is what six months old. And the the highest selling book w- within conservative publishing so far this year is actually Andy's book hmm. on Antifa. And this was mentioned by McKay Coppins, the writer at The Atlantic, who specifically mentioned it by name. Now. Where again, so you I want to make sure we remove all the innocent motivations here. All right? You're citing the success of this guy's book. You're citing that it's the most successful book in a genre this entire year. So either he's a total fraud making a bunch of slanderous and libelous claims who should be exposed, or he's exposing a thugocracy. It's one or the other. Aren't you at least the least bit intellectually curious which one it is?
0: Right, and of course, the irony is that everybody that writes a piece now about Andy in mainstream media or corporate press, whatever you want to call them, as Michael Malice puts it, they always make a point of saying conservative journalist Andy No, mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned on Twitter, I mean, I know Andy pretty well. He by no means is a traditional conservative. Again, he he's gay, not that you can't be a gay conservative, but the point is, I think he's probably an old school liberal who's just been, for lack of a better term, mugged by reality in this case. Honestly, um,
2: but, I... I- yeah. I've I've talked to Andy a, a million times. I have no idea what his politics are. I yeah, couldn't he's even, a journalist, so I don't I know. I to true. tell you because he's never even brought it up.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I have a slight inkling on some things, but in no way, when they say conservative, it's they're trying to paint him as as something that he probably is not. Um, what about just the general idea that either journalists can now be attacked, or just what we saw in New York? And in LA in the last couple of weeks that you can just attack random people on the streets and that this this thing seems like it's being uh, exacerbated.
3: It's just a sad state of affairs that now look at all the bad journalism that is happening right now with mainstream media that goes completely unaccountable. And you have Andy Ngo, who is a great journalist who is doing very good work and is simply telling the truth. And that is his reward for what he's doing. And anybody who comes out and says anything that criticizes the left, especially the extreme left, is labeled a conservative journalist, even though, like you said, he's not very apparent about where he lies politically. And it's a very sad state of affairs. And we see all these politicians who say, well, Antifa's. Just an idea. It doesn't represent a terrorist organization. They're not doing anything domestically that's causing any harm to America. But last time I checked, ideas don't mob people. They don't trample them and beat them down in the streets.
0: Right. Well, exactly. I mean, if any of these things that we've seen in the last two years could be linked back to Trump supporters, as Jack pointed out uh, after what happened on the sixth, it was it would be like they'd be telling us we're in World War Three. Jack, do you think we're going to find links between Antifa? and the democratic party or at least some something more tangible than they seem to tacitly support them
2: well, so what you really see in the in the dichotomy, or I should say like the dynamic between Antifa and the Democrat Party is that Antifa exists to be that leading edge, the tip of the spear of the Overton window with Antifa. I talk about this and, and go to antifabook.com and see it. Um, shameless, shameless book. No, that was good. That was and good. Like a pro. <laughs> and uh, what you see is- then the Democrats are increasingly the DSA word Antifa recruits from. Uh, you know, it's really just in many cases the DSA at night with masks and, and black shirts on. But they can say, well, look, we're not as extreme as Antifa. We don't want to abolish the police. We just want to change the funding. We just want to tweak a few things. You can actually see Joe Biden do this in real time when they ask him about some of these Antifa DSA slogans where he says, oh, no, I just want to I just want to recommit things. want to change it. So that's exactly how you see Antifa working. And by the way, when people tell me, is Antifa just an idea? Right. I look at them and I say, well, radical Islam is just an idea. But you know mm, what? Right. They've got cells, they've got groups, they've got organizations mm-hmm. and they commit terrorist attacks. So, yeah, they're an idea that forms a movement that starts a network that has splinter cells that gets people hurt and gets people killed. So, sure. Why not? But if you you sound like a lunatic, if you, <laughs> you're just saying that in 2021, that Antifa is just an idea.
0: Yeah, great point. Steve, as a guy that tries to communicate these ideas to people, um, what can we do to actually show people that this thing is exactly what Jack just pointed out and not just some amorphous idea?
1: I think they have to be confronted on a legal matter, political matter. Uh, on a military matter, frankly, I think they should be treated if if they if, if it was Islam that claimed to occupy nine city blocks of a major mm-hmm. American city, I would assume we would treat that as a hostile invading force. And one of the things that's puzzled me about Antifa this entire time, is it just me? OK, but every time one of these kids gets or one of these guys gets unmasked. Doesn't it look like when we were in youth football and you're like slowly going into the line, you're sizing up when the Oklahoma drill's coming up and you're like, all right, I want to be opposite this guy. So let me let these three guys go ahead of me. Every one of them's like the dweeb you gave yeah. swirlies to in the locker room, right? It's like they specifically target guys who are taking humanities or women's studies with a Y in college, 301, and think and, and fantasize at night about being a badass because uh, they, they, they played some military first-person shooter game one. I mean, why do all of these guys, whenever they're unmasked, look like complete and total dweebs?
0: Wait, actually, I want to, before I give all the final word, I want to ask Jack that very question, because when you see these pictures of these people, when they finally mm-hmm. are unmasked, Steve's totally right. And also, it seems that a huge percentage of them are on drugs. And we know that th- there's obviously an opioid and fentanyl crisis right now. Do you have any info on that? Like how many of these people are actually hooked on drugs and how, how that is all connected. So to all when us. I,
2: when I was in Chaz, you know, we talk about this in the book as well, but when I spent, uh, you know, the several days and nights out there, I mean, drugs were plentiful. People were coming up to us, you know, cause we're dressed in, uh, uh, in, in sort of the, the appropriate attire for the Chaz and people were coming to us. There's a, at one point, a guy came up to me with a, a trash can lid that was turned upside down and he had just various types of drugs on it. Uh, everything from weed to shrooms to stuff that I didn't even know about. And he was just, Hey, do you, do you want some? Partake, my brethren, right? And then he sort of just—he was on a, on a rollerblades and he just skated off to somewhere else. That was the kind of atmosphere you had in there. uh There was a homeless encampment where drugs were absolutely plentiful. That led to people getting killed, people getting stabbed in that homeless camp. So, I mean, this was a huge part and parcel of exactly what was going on because, partially, it, it specifically with Chaz, it wasn't even so much that it was the activists bringing it in from Antifa, but once you told people that, hey, there's a crime-free or, you know, I should say a law uh, law enforcement-free area. Those criminal elements, those drug elements, all of that was coming and congregating within that CHAZ zone.
0: Amal, I keep going to you as the young person get giving me some hope here, right. but do you think that young people are watching this going, ah, maybe law and order ain't that terrible. Maybe we should actually fund police. Maybe we should arrest people for committing murder and that sort of thing.
3: I would certainly hope so. But I think the issue is, is that social media, mainstream media, and even now our public schooling systems are pushing children and young people to be these sort of radical vessels for the left. And as much as the left wants to say that schools are a school to prison pipeline, right now they are a school to radicalism pipeline. And they're teaching the children this sort of ideology, the gender theory, the CRT. And it is pushing them to act like the Antifa members out in Portland. And it's very unfortunate. And it's something that has really run rampant within Portland schools through the research that I've done. And I think we're leaning more towards that within our public institutions. And that's where young people are being influenced.
0: I think in short, we got work to do. Hey, listen, I want to thank the three of you guys. We're going to link to all of your stuff right down below. I'm going to you, say goodbye to you, and I'm, I'm just going to Babylon to the good people for a little bit, and and wish them a good weekend. So thank you to you three, and uh, for the rest of you still watching. Uh, all right, the weekend is here. It was a it was a weird week. This was a really weird week. You know, some of the weeks are weird. Some of them are hostile. Some of them are crazy. This one I would say was weird. I mean, the Fauci email stuff above everything else. Sort of this like endless leak of, oh, we kinda didn't know what we were doing, the stuff that we addressed at the top of the show, especially the mask stuff, that was why that was the one email that we selected for this show. Because there's a lot of sort of insider scientific stuff that it's hard to understand exactly who he's talking to, what the exact context is. But I thought the basic idea of, yeah, the masks that you buy at the store don't really work and the droplets get through, it's like, you guys told us to wear masks this whole time, although at the beginning you told us not to, and then you told us to, and then you told us to wear two masks and everything else. And I know I repeat myself every now and again, and I apologize if you've heard me say this before, but that is why I constantly say we're in a war on truth because it it is so incumbent on you. Like it's now becoming almost like a second job, if you have a first job, if you're fortunate enough to have a first job right now, but it's becoming like a second job to basically ascertain what the truth is because you read stuff, and if, you're, if every day you're walking around going, oh, I read something in the New York Times, I read something in CNN, et cetera, and this is true, and then it consistently happens that three months later, you find out it's not true, and we know that this has happened. Russia hoax, Covington kids, Brett Kavanaugh's a racist, Jesse Smollett, Trump tried to tell the Attorney General of Georgia to flip the results of the election, like the, the endless cascade of things that turn out not to be true, it's like now it's on us to figure it out. And how you stay sane in that um, is the great challenge of our time. And I will continue trying to do it with you. Uh, I just want to say one other thing before before the weekend, although I've got a whole bunch of other things to do, and I assume some of you do too, um, which is that I did an event at uh, the Heritage Foundation yesterday, which was really fantastic in Austin, Texas. And it was just great to be in Austin. The weather was bananas. I mean, it was like electrical storms, lightning. I felt like I was in a sci-fi movie the whole time. However, I gave a talk at uh, the Heritage Foundation. I actually gave the keynote address. Ted Ted Cruz was there, got to see him for a few minutes and chat. Um, And during my speech, there there was a QA and a after. And one of the themes that just kept coming up, and it's just, it's so consistent with everything else going on. is like, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I do sense more people are speaking up. I tweeted out this great video of a woman, a mother in New York. She's like this like prototypical Italian mom right out of Jersey or New York fighting critical race theory at, a, uh, at her local you know, school board event and just fighting them and telling them what they are. And we need more and more people to step up. Actually, in about an hour from now, uh, I'm interviewing, If you, I hope you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it, you're gonna see it, but there was a video that went super viral this week, I had a little something to do with it by pushing it out so many times, of, of a young father who happens to be a black man with his young daughter who happens to be a great young girl, she's probably three or four years old, and he's talking to her about what it means really to be a person and not believe in critical race theory and judge people as individuals, and she's just so funny. And perfect, and light, and truthful, and wonderful. And I, I immediately did everything I could do to, to contact them and say, "Listen, I wanna I wanna amplify this message." So we're gonna sit down with Corey and his daughter uh, in just a little bit, and we're gonna put it up today. And that's how we fight back. Whether it's going to your school board and telling them what the truth is, or putting a video out with your daughter, or being brave enough at at any given moment to just when you when somebody's saying something crazy at the dinner table, and usually you just sit on your hands and go, ah, I'm just not in the mood, but maybe push back a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, you gotta throw the soup in their face. At the beginning, at least. I mean, sometimes after an hour, it can be enough. But I think you get my point, that we all all play a part in this thing. Oh, and then the final point is this, that between the Fauci stuff this week and some of the more ridiculous Biden comments and everything else. And now Trump back on Facebook and Instagram, which is only two weeks after they said that they weren't gonna revisit it for what, six months or a year, they said they were gonna keep him off. And now they've decided that he's back on. It's like, maybe there is a shift here. And I think what Jack said was really interesting, which is they need Trump, right? I mean, they obviously need Trump. Their ratings are tanking and Facebook and Instagram are suddenly going, oh man, if we don't put Trump back on here, well, maybe he is gonna start his own platform or maybe he's gonna join locals or maybe some other thing is gonna happen, who knows? All sorts of weird things can happen, so we better get the guy back on here before we let go of our monopoly. So anyway, my point in all this is there's some interesting stuff happening, guys, and, uh, and we're all part of it, and I look forward to being on the adventure with you. So that is it for me. We will be back with that interview with Corey and, and his daughter. I, I just can't wait to talk to her. Like, just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Maybe not too much politics this weekend. Get out there, eat some good food, listen to some good music, be with some people you you like, maybe even love. That's it. See you on Monday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join RubenReport.locals.com.